The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days. But that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome back to The Right Opinion, right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, ratsaladreview.com, and hackerhameen.podbean.com. Plenty of places to find this fine podcast, and I'm glad you folks found it. I, of course, am your host, Harrison Bergeron, and look, I'm back with another bonus episode. Why? Because there's just more stupid shit that happened in the world, and there's really no other way of phrasing it, because let's face it, most of this shit is stupid. And yet it gets blown way out of proportion. As soon as we're done with one stupid thing, we're back onto another stupid thing. Old stupid things reemerge once new stupid things die down again. New stupid events come out of the aftermath of already stupid events. And and that leads me to what I'm talking about this week. So I'm going to do this in kind of two parts this week. Um, if you're not doing so already, by the way, follow me on social media at Right Opinion Pod on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Parlor, which um, a good, not a good friend of the show necessarily, but a, a huge inspiration for the show recently just took part ownership in Parlor. So I'm going to try and be more active over there. And if you're not already over there, check it out. It's sort of like Twitter, except it's not nearly as restrictive and Hey, if you like what I have to say here, you'll like what a lot of the people have to say over on Parler because it is a lot of conservative transplants that have left Twitter, left Facebook, and they're over on Parler now. And Dan Bongino, somebody I talk about often on this show, has just taken up an ownership stake in Parler. So he, you know, he he makes all these claims. He wants to do things. He wants to change things. He's actually taking action. He didn't like the Drudge Report. He's got the Bongino Report now. He didn't like Twitter. So he's got parlor now. Um, the man is, is a man of action. I applaud him, and, and as a result of that, I'm going to try to be a little bit more active over on parlor. But um, social media plugs notwithstanding, let me get back into what I was saying there. Uh, I'm going to do this episode in two parts. First and foremost, I'm going to talk about the death of Rayshard Brooks. Uh, he was the gentleman who was unfortunately killed by police uh, in a Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta. We all saw the story. I've watched every second of all the video footage. I've heard plenty of people analyze this, people who have histories in law enforcement. I'm going to give you my thoughts on this, right? Like, I'm not a cop. I've never been trained as a cop. But I can go off of experts and what they say. And furthermore, just good old-fashioned common sense, right? So I'm going to talk about that. And then the second half of the show is actually not going to be a whole lot of me. Um, In these times where... You know, Black Lives Matter, and they do, and I'm not trying to make any contrary statements to the contrary. They definitely do. But it appears that only certain Black Lives Matter to certain people. And um, I'm not talking about the black lives of, of, of perpetrators killed by police. I'm talking about black voices out there that have a lot to say on this subject uh, that are well-informed about these topics that go largely ignored under the guise of 
whatever coonery or being an Uncle Tom or whatever it is, however it is you want to phrase it. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of intelligent things to say about this topic. And because they happen to not be out and out leftists or in in a lot of these cases, these people are very right leaning. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but these voices get ignored. So what I'm going to do is just kind of I'm going to lay back. I'm going to let the black voices do the talking for me on this subject matter because, look, I mean, I'm I'm white. I'm kind of speaking out of turn on a lot of these issues. I like to think I'm open-minded, but just because I think that doesn't mean that my audience always will. So I'm going to let people who are much closer to the problem, not to suggest they are the problem, but they're much closer to um, these problems, I guess, than I am. You know, my whiteness and my maleness and my straightness and over and you know, moderately wealthy white suburbia. I don't know these things. So I'm going to let them speak from a perspective of a little bit more authority. I mean, if Black Lives Matter, I would think all black voices would have a voice in that conversation. And that's clearly not been the case if you pay attention to social media. So yeah, we're going to get through some of the greatest hits there. It's going to be Larry Elder. It's going to be Candace Owens, the Hodge twins, Eric D. July, plenty of black voices to speak on this particular subject. And I could have gone more, but frankly, some of the clips are a little lengthy in order to give them the proper respect and let them get their full point out, or at least a full point out. I'm going to let it run for a while. So the only thing you'll really hear from me in the second half of this episode is me just kind of setting up each sound clip and then I'm going to let them talk and we're going to we're going to go from there. And by the way, when I say let them talk, this is not me on my perch of whiteness allowing these fine people of color to speak. I think their voices are valuable and I don't think you're hearing a lot of these voices, so I'm going to give this a platform, you know. I'm I'm handing over my platform to the cause of black conservatives matter for this particular week, I guess, and that may very well be the name of this episode, but let's get into Rayshard Brooks. So I watched every minute of every second of every angle of every camera of this incident i've watched it all watched the full 25 30 minute conversation that he had with the police while they were trying to ascertain how intoxicated he was because there was no doubt that he was intoxicated you know let me take a big step back right let's set the stage we're in a drive-thru in atlanta it's a wendy's dude fell asleep behind the wheel of his car in the drive-thru people are driving around him he's not hurting anybody in that particular moment in time, but nevertheless, he's intoxicated. He's behind the wheel of a vehicle. We can only assume he drove there. Police are called. They got to call the police anyway. Somebody's got to wake this motherfucker up and get him out of the drive-thru, right? People need their bacon, their, their junior bacon cheeseburgers. And so they, they ask him, the officers, to pull his car into a parking spot on the outskirts of the Wendy's parking lot so that he's not jamming up the drive-thru. They get him out of the car. They conduct a, a, a sobriety test. He actually appears to be walking the straight line fairly well, but you could just tell based on how he's speaking that he's clearly not all there. They're asking him if he knows where he is. He named some other restaurant on some other side of town. He named some other street that he thought he might be. Weirdly enough, during the this conversation, when they have him um, and they're and they're interviewing him, essentially they're interrogating him. They're trying to figure out if he's drunk or if he's high or if he's both or how bad or you know, is this going to be violent? You know, there's plenty of X factors that they have to kind of ascertain. So, Richard, Richard, I believe his name is, or at least that's how it's spelled, so I'm going to pronounce it that way, Richard, um, seems like a really affable guy. Like, I, over the course of watching this 25 minutes, I kind of like, you know, I started to feel worse for him because I knew how this ended. 
but he seemed like a like a good dude. Like he just seemed like he, you know, he had a rough night. He took one too much of whatever it was he was on. Um, he had one too many drinks. Whatever the case may be. I mean, like as I'm watching, I'm like, this is the type of guy I can hang with. Like he seemed like just the chill dude. He seemed like he was kind of funny. Like even even during the actual process they're asking him if you want to do a breathalyzer and he's like oh well I don't want to refuse anything like the way that he said it was just kind of funny um and obviously as I'm watching this I'm I'm not in the mindset of expecting comedy knowing where this all ends but so what what ends up happening is that they have him conduct the sobriety test the field sobriety test that can clearly tell he's intoxicated they have him blow into a breathalyzer which he didn't want to refuse so he willingly went into that by the way that's all that whole like he you know do you want to take a breathalyzer you don't really have a choice let's make no mistake about it they're they're either going to arrest you because you've blown or they're going to arrest you back you know they take you back to the station and make you blow one way or another they're going to get you to blow in that breathalyzer if they think that you're intoxicated so to mr brooks's uh credit you know he didn't he didn't fight it and he blew well over the limit he was like a 108 or whatever the case may be it's it's considerably above the blood alcohol content level that you need in order to be impaired and most certainly above and beyond what you should have in your system if you're driving a vehicle, which he definitely was because he was the only one in the vehicle. Despite the fact he kept telling the cops that, like, my girlfriend drove here and then they're like, well, where'd she go? And she's like, I don't know because he didn't know where he was. So up to this point, a 25-minute conversation ensues. They got him walking lines. They're asking him questions. What did you drink? Where are you coming from? Where are you staying? All this sort of stuff. He's like, look, man, I can walk home. But he was telling them that he was at a hotel that was nearby, but he was at a hotel that was like across town. So he had no idea. Actually, at one point during the conversation, he figures it all out. And you could see him. He's like, ah, I'm at Wendy's on, you know, College Ave or whatever, whatever road it was. Like he knew exactly where it was. It all clicked. Unfortunately for him, about 10 to 15 minutes too late. But if these police officers were in the business of trying to actively kill Mr. Brooks, I would think that they probably wouldn't have had like a 25-minute-long, relatively friendly conversation with him and then let them beat him up and then let them take his taser and then we're like, okay, now we can shoot this guy like we've been planning all along. (laughs) That is not how this went down in any way, shape, or form. So let me flash flash forward, fast forward. I was almost going to say to the good part, but that's obviously not the case here. So uh, let's fast forward to the pertinent part when they go to arrest Mr. Brooks. So there's two police officers on the scene. The one officer says, okay, well, it's clear that you're too impaired to have been driving. He did admit to driving the car. So they said, okay, sir, please turn around, put your hands behind your back. And Mr. Brooks does exactly that. It appears they get one cuff on him, but it's when he's going, they're going for the second wrist that Mr. Brooks decides, oh, um, this is my last chance, and um, how correct he was, unfortunately. Uh, He ends up trying to break free. He gets his arms, control of his arms again, as they no longer have him, they don't get him fully cuffed. He's fighting with the two officers, one of which pulls out a taser, and Mr. Brooks grabs the taser out of the police officer's hands, Gets the advantage somehow. I don't know how. He's drunk, but he's also high, possibly. He's all hopped up on something. Maybe he's got beer balls. Whatever it is, he overcame two officers physically, was standing over them, throwing punches at them, took one of their tasers, attempted to tase them, was unsuccessful. 
So he darts across the parking lot. Now, one of the cops just had his weapon. It was a non-lethal weapon, but it was a weapon stolen from him. In pursuit of Mr. Brooks, they are running across the Wendy's parking lot, and you can clearly see in the security footage that Mr. Brooks turns around and attempts to fire the taser one more time at the officers. The officers now, in pursuit, have drawn their firearms and fire when Mr. Brooks turns around in an attempt to shoot at them with the taser. So Mr. Brooks was shot in the back, as the media will tell you repeatedly, including Geraldo on Fox News of all places. I think he was on Hannity arguing with Bongino about this. He was shot in the back. Yes, he was shot in the back because he was running away, and he turned around, and he attempted to shoot somebody with the taser. Now, I hear dumbass arguments about it's a taser. It's inherently non-lethal. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. The problem for that argument is that Mr. Brooks had already ascertained a weapon from a police officer. The officer was attempting to use it against Mr. Brooks to subdue him because he was resisting arrest, undeniably. He then beat up two officers and took off across a parking lot with one of their weapons. He turns around in an attempt to fire it at one of the police officers, and that police officer is really left with no other assumption other than, if this guy tases me, he's probably going to take my gun. And that not only puts my fellow officer in danger, but anybody in this Wendy's parking lot or any of the surrounding businesses or residences. Residence. Residence? Residences. Places where people live. So the police officer in this case, was 100% justified in shooting and killing Mr. Brooks. Now, for all of the things that everyone wants to point out that the police did wrong, why did they have to shoot him? Well, because he took a weapon, he was fleeing the scene, he is now a dangerous, intoxicated, armed individual. They keep saying he was unarmed. He was very much armed with the taser that you can see him claim from the police officers. There's one actual bit of footage that was shot by a bystander, it appears, and you can hear him, like, as as Mr. Brooks is taking the taser away from the cops, and it's clear that he has the upper hand in this situation, you hear him going, oh, shit, oh, shit, he's got him, and they get up, and then Mr. Brooks gets up and runs, and then the later part, I believe, of that same footage, the, a guy comes out after the police shot Mr. Brooks and starts screaming, he didn't do nothing wrong. What did you shoot him for? He didn't do anything. Really? Did you just arrive on the scene? Mr. Brooks, in addition to driving a vehicle while drunk, which is not by any means uh, a diagnosis that merits a prescription of ending his life, he started off in the wrong. He was drunk. He was behind the wheel. He was actually fairly compliant throughout the entirety of the interrogation and the field sobriety test and the breathalyzer test and all of that stuff. Seemed rather jovial, was a little messed up, knew he definitely was in some trouble here, came up with every lie or every misdirection that he could possibly come up with, or he was just too drunk to know where he was. Either way, up to this point, Mr. Brooks had done absolutely nothing wrong uh, in terms of it getting to the level of it costing him his life. He had not done that. And you know, weirdly enough, the police didn't kill him during any of that process. It was only when they attempted to arrest Mr. Brooks, he A, resisted arrest, B, assaulted an officer, C, stole his weapon, and D, fled the scene 
E while armed with said officer's weapon. So yeah, did the cops need to do this or the cops need to do that? Yeah, it seems to be that there's a lot of nitpicking being done on the end of the police officer and no one se- and everyone seems to just be outright forgiving what Mr. Brooks did to lead up to that. If he never drove drunk, he would have never had this altercation to begin with. If he didn't resist arrest, he wouldn't have had to be in this situation where now he's in a fight with two cops. If he wasn't in a fight with two cops, he probably wouldn't have ascertained one of their tasers. And if he didn't take that taser and flee the scene, they wouldn't have had to chase him. And if he didn't turn around and try to fire it at one of them, they wouldn't have had to shoot him. So all the fault for some reason being placed on the police where it seems like literally every decision in this whole process was made by Mr. Brooks. He decided to resist. He decided to attack. He decided to take the taser. And yeah, he wasn't of sound mind. That's not the police officer's fault. That You know, when, when the police chief goes to a fallen officer's wife and says, I'm sorry, your, your husband didn't come home tonight, um, but don't worry about it. The suspect in question, he wasn't sober, so like, no big deal. None of that matters in that moment. The, the police officer in that moment has now had a conversation with this guy, and he seemed like he was fine. Then all of a sudden, on a dime, snaps, tries to resist arrest, steals the weapon. And again, at this point, once he has stolen a weapon from a police officer, both police officers have no choice but to assume he will then steal another. If he could then tase one of them and knock them out, Why wouldn't he run back and steal that cop's gun, maybe shoot at the other cop, maybe kill that cop, maybe kill somebody in the Wendy's, maybe take a hostage? I mean, at that point, the public, there is a danger to the public. Mr. Brooks was that danger, and the police did their job in ending the danger. It's unfortunate that Mr. Brooks had to lose his life, but Mr. Brooks made a series of decisions that led up to that event happening, and the police were merely doing what they were trained to do. We are getting to the point now to where, A, no one is ever going to want to be a cop in this country ever again. Why would you ever want to be a police officer in this country? And, and, and yeah, I, I know. Some of you out there are in, like, the suburban police stations thinking to yourself, yeah, it never happened to me. We don't have enough black people around here. We see you pulling over all the black people in town. The cancel police will most definitely come for you one day. So enjoy what you got. Get in all the overtime you can because you may be retiring in the not-too-distant future. Better get that pension up, boys. But why would you ever want to be a cop, man? Like, why would you ever want to be a cop? And more importantly, B, this is the most important thing of all of it. When is it okay for a cop to use lethal force? Because it damn sure shouldn't be until the cop is in such danger. I mean, yeah, it should always be a last resort. But by the way the media tells it, the cop would have to be on the ground, on his back, with the perp's gun in his mouth before he's even allowed to think about using deadly force. Who would sign up for this? Police officers, by the way, die at like a rate greater than anybody in our military during, you know, peacetime, which is, we're not really in peacetime, so that's not really a thing either, but um, this is this is a travesty that police that get, you know, have to be left with these decisions. First and foremost, it's a travesty that they have to interact with as many people as they do because so many people are insistent on breaking the law. And then, you know, they they used to not have tasers at all. Now they have tasers, and now motherfuckers are stealing the tasers from them. These these situations are not good. There are no situations or resolutions to these situations where there's no downside possibility. Yeah, Mr. Brooks lost his life. And that's really unfortunate. I'm sure that weighs on the conscience of that cop who, by the way, was fired 
And where, where is the police union there, man? This guy did nothing wrong. Other, I mean, look, the police made some mistakes there, but they didn't make any judgment calls incorrectly. They were very cordial with Mr. Brooks. They were giving him every every opportunity to explain how he got to where he was and why he was there and all that sort of stuff. And he went along with it, and he was just dandy until they tried to put the cuffs on him, which they were in every way, shape, or form within their right to do because he had broken the law, and he merits being arrested. And that was when Mr. Brooks decided he was no longer going to comply. He was no longer going to be civilized. He fought two police officers, took one of their weapons, attempted to use that weapon on one of those officers, and it cost him his life. If you don't do any of those things, if you don't drive drunk, if you don't... Uh, resist arrest, if you don't attempt to assault police officers, if you don't attempt to ascertain their weapon and make and get away with it and leave the scene while you're being arrested, you will not get shot by the police. It is a very, it is a statistical anomaly, those rare instances that do occur. I know, people are screaming, Breonna Taylor. Brianna Taylor was dating what was in all likelihood a very high-end drug dealer, okay? So this this paint picture that they're painting of Brianna Taylor, that she was the Saint EMT, she was into some shit, okay? You don't get no-knock warrants on people's houses, which have to be signed off by judges, by the way, based on no information whatsoever. There was some evidence to suggest that not only did they not go to his apartment, they went to her apartment, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, if you're in a place where they are having no-knock warrants... I mean, look, you're, was it her fault? Should she have died? Absolutely not. No. But you put yourself in a certain situation there. You're, dealing, you're, you're, you're dating somebody who is a dangerous individual. If it wasn't the cops coming in the door with the guns one day, it could have very well been his rival gang members or his rival drug dealer or some mafioso type who doesn't like, you know, that this guy's working on his territory, whatever the case may be. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, play deadly games, win deadly prizes. You know, I talk to my friends about this, and yeah, a lot of my friends are white, but they all say the same thing, and it and it's been largely true. You know why that'll never happen to me? So I don't break the law. And I, hey, talking to somebody who, on occasion, breaks some laws, right? Like, I mean, I'm not a saint by no means. I certainly haven't been in my past, but to to suggest that. There is some sort of extermination campaign being perpetuated by police in order to kill black people. Statistically not true. Like, not even close. And I just went over the numbers with somebody on Twitter because they needed to be schooled on this. 1,098 people were shot by the police in 2019. Only 41 of which were unarmed. And only 9 of which were black. And one of those had had a previous shootout. This is actually, I, I said this wrong in the last episode, so let me correct this here. The one out of nine, had it's, I think I said he had an, uh, a loaded handgun on him while in uh, a police chase. That is technically incorrect, although maybe it was at, a, at another point in time. Neither here nor there. What had happened was that guy had been in a shootout with police in the past, and now... In this particular instance, he was unarmed, but he told the police he was going to shoot them. And oh, by the way, he had a history of shooting at police. So there was no reason for them to doubt him. He didn't have a gun. It was, you know, an unarmed killing. And I, I don't know how that was resolved in court. But we're talking about nine 
unarmed black people in a single year were killed by police in a country where we have 330 million people and 40 plus million black people or 40-ish million black people. Nine unarmed black people and all men, by the way, killed by the police. This is not an epidemic. This is not, it's barely a blip. I, I, I can rattle off a litany of other causes of death that are way higher in terms of black deaths. I mean, like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, like literally anything. Coronavirus now, we can add that. There are, there, there, you have, if you're a black, you have a greater statistical likelihood of being struck by lightning than you do of being shot and killed by a police officer. And oh, by the way, according to uh, Heather McDonald, who's done some extensive research on all this, white, uh, what is it, a police officer is 18.5 times more likely to be shot and killed by a black person than an unarmed black person is to be shot and killed by a police officer. Now, I know, I slipped in unarmed in one of those statistics. The thing is, is that if this was some sort of extermination campaign where police were actively out there trying to kill as many black people as humanly possible, that wouldn't matter anyway. It's it, And it, because it's not true is why the statistics are bearing out that the number of unarmed black people killed in a single year in a country of 330 plus million people and 40 million ish black people is in the single digits as far as unarmed people of that variety being shot and killed by police. This is not an epidemic. This is not a regular thing. You know how I know? Because I can name you virtually all of the people where this has happened. As a matter of fact, I can name you people that get lumped in with those people that had nothing to do with police, like Trayvon Martin, for instance, who was shot and killed by a Hispanic man who was apparently a white supremacist for some reason. I assume it's liberalism. So that's it. Richard Brooks, R.I.P. Again, watching that video, I kind of like got to like him during the course of it. And maybe it's because I knew he was about to die, but... He seemed like a chill dude, and he seemed like he just had a really bad night, and unfortunately went from a really bad night to a really, really bad night, and a lot of that had to do with the decisions that were made by him, and the police's reacting to it in accordance with their training and common sense. So that's it. Rayshard Brooks, again, rest in peace. Um, I hope the police officer gets his job back. I hope everybody could just chill out a little bit. Like the police, it's funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine who I've known for a long time, he's known me since high school, back in my rebellious law-breaking days and all sorts of stuff. And I said to him, I was like, man, if you had told me 15 years ago I'd be sitting here as adamant as I am about how shitty the police are being treated, how necessary the police are, like my 18-year-old self would beat the shit out of me right now for even saying these things and for even having the grasp that eventually that would become him or he would become that, I guess. But... Man, we need the police, and people need to cut the police a break. I was saying this to uh, to my girlfriend, shout out uh, to, um, I don't know what I call you on here, because I don't have a code name for you yet. Uh, I don't, I was going to say Mrs. Bergeron, but that's, that's probably overstepping. Um, we'll come up with something there. I was talking to her, and I said, can you think of a single instance where a national news story revolved around a police shooting and the media sided with the cop? Can you think of a single one? I can't. I can't think of a single one. And why is that? Because the only reason it's a story to begin with is because the victim's black, the cop is white, we assume racism, end of story. 
That's it. That's the only time we see these things. As a matter of fact, let's get into some of these clips that I was talking to about on the second half of the show here. I'm going to play the first one. It's rather long. It's the Hodge twins. I'll cut off some of the end, I think, if it's if it's kind of unnecessary. But they're going to go through all of the lists of all of the cases that you haven't heard about because the suspect was white. One of which is fairly, I recall hearing about it. But you never, ever hear about it in the context of police shootings these days because we're only allowed to talk about the times that the police shot black people, you know, as particularly unarmed black people, all nine of them in 2019. So here are the Hodge twins. They are twins. They are black. They are conservative. They are frequent guests of Louder with Crowder. And they put together this video talking about white lives matter and how black lives matter is a sham, and they're going to talk about all of the different cases. It runs for about like nine minutes, so strap in. Here are the Hodge twins. I'm tired of this Black Lives Matter lie. Yeah, anywhere you go, I go to Grubhub, Uber Eats, Twitter, Facebook. Hell, I get, Instagram. I get a telemarketer calling me, please donate to Black Lives Matter. I'm tired of this damn lie, so I'm going to expose it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. I got to show you because if I don't show you, you're going to call me a liar and a sellout and an Uncle Tom and a coon. Bad things happen to all races by the cops. Yeah, that damn, that catchphrase, Black Lives Matter, yeah. it duped a lot of us, but it didn't get us. Yeah, it's catchy, though, but I didn't fall for it. Look here. First case. Newly released body camera footage of this police shooting shows Daniel Shaver's last moments. Police were responding to reports of a man pointing a rifle out of a hotel room window. Hand up in the air! You do that again, we're shooting you, do you understand? Please do not shoot me. Begging for his life. Then listen to my instruction! Don't talk, listen! Hands straight up in the air. Do not put your hands down for any reason. You think you're going to fall, you better fall on your face. Your hands go back in the small of your back or down. We are going to shoot you. Do you understand me? An officer then orders Shaver to crawl toward him. Shaver complies, but then moves his right hand behind him despite the warning. This kid is drunk. Yeah. He's begging for his life. Yeah. And the cop shoots him anyway. Yeah. The cop walks. Yeah, got to quit it. You didn't hear about it because he's white. Just imagine if this kid's name was Tyrone, a black kid crying. Imagine if this was George for begging for his life. Yeah. It'd be front page news, but you didn't because it's some white kid with privilege. They're not going to show you that case because they're trying to spin it like this only happens to black folks. Next case. This pony's the only thing we can get. Help me! In 2016, Tony Tempa called Dallas police for help. You're gonna kill me. And this. You're gonna kill me. Was the help he got restrained? No day. Tony, back to school. And mocked until he died. <laughs> this was a tragedy. It was needless and avoidable. From a Dallas parking lot, Tempa dialed 911 and said he was a schizophrenic, was off his meds, and had taken cocaine. Tony, look at me, bro. Officers show up, but Tempa is hysterical, already handcuffed by a store security guard. He's then restrained like this for about 14 minutes, and officers can be heard laughing as Tempa's face is buried into the ground. Jeff Henley is representing Tempa's family against the city of Dallas in a federal lawsuit. He says officers knew Tempa was on something and should not have restrained him this long. From this 
you know, radically prone position, Tony is going to suffer asphyxia. When Timpa does stop breathing, officers continue to crack jokes. Is he asleep? Yes, please. Snoring, that's what it was. But they stop in their tracks when a paramedic says the 32 year old is he dead. All this stuff. He's dead. He what? He's dead. He died just like George Floyd did. Yeah. Smothered him to death. But this guy didn't have an extensive prison record like George Floyd. Right? And the cops are mocking the dude after he's dead. He's saying yeah. he's asleep. Yeah. You didn't hear about it because he's white. Imagine if this guy was a black guy. Two police officers standing over a black body, laughing. Not gonna hear about it. Doesn't fit the media narrative. Yeah. Next case. Police body camera footage captured the shooting and the moment officers realized there was a boy in the car. I never saw a kid before. Six-year-old Jeremy Martist, who is autistic, died in the front seat, shot four times. His father, Chris Few, was critically wounded. Speaking publicly about that night for the first time today, Mr. Few told the jury, officers gave no warning before they opened fire. I had my hands in the air, Few testified. I put my hands out the window. They kept shooting. Several witnesses also told the jury Mr. Few had his hands up, which body camera footage appears to confirm. But Officer Derek Stafford's attorney says he and his partner acted in self-defense after a two-mile pursuit. He negligently um, and intentionally uh, reversed his vehicle in an attempt to hit the officers. Few admitted to drinking that night but told the jury he would never hit an officer and only wanted to get his son to a caretaker so the boy wouldn't be involved in a possible arrest. The prosecution argues nothing few did that night justified the deadly response. Derek Stafford is on trial, and it's just a shame that they want to put the victim on trial. A six-year-old white autistic kid and his father get shot up, gunned down by two black police officers. Now, the, the, the father lived, but the kid didn't. Yeah. You didn't hear about this yeah. because... The victims are white. Yeah, little boy, man, six years old, got shot five times. They emptied 18 rounds in that car. That uh, that horrible thing that happened to um, Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice up in Cleveland, yeah. right? They sing that out like this only happens to black kids. There's an article I yeah. found. Now tell them, Tamir Rice was a trivial kid. Yeah. They got shot and killed because he was brandishing a fake gun. A, a toy gun. A toy gun. It looked real. It was a gun replica. Yeah. Right? Car, cops roll up, shoot and kill the, the young kid, right? Now, this is not an isolated incident. There's yeah. an article up on Washington Post written yeah. back in 2016 yeah. over the span of two years, 85 to 86 shootings by cops, people brandishing fake toy guns. Yeah. 50 of them that died out of the 86, they were white. Yeah. You didn't hear about it because it doesn't fit the media narrative. Yeah. That whole Black Lives Matter, it's a lie. That's that's what pisses people off yeah. in that organization yeah. on the news. Yeah. That's why they mock people when they say all lives matter. No, all lives matter doesn't. It's not that. Yeah. It's just about black lives. Because if you say all lives matter, it kills that narrative. That narrative falls apart. Everybody knows that there's black men is not being gunned down by systemically racist police force. They act like this damn United States is a damn, like a scene out of that damn movie, The Purge. <laughs> yeah. And they keep saying, look at the prisons. All these black people incarcerated. Why? Because of the color of their skin or because they was robbing people, killing people, yeah. committing crimes? If, if they're in jail because they're black, 
It's come pretty, on. It's, it's 2020. <laughs> it's pretty easy to get them out. You got to have evidence to be in jail. Derek Chauvin's case, they're painting this like he's a white supremacist. Right. That he killed George Floyd because he was black. But why is that the default? Simply due to the fact that Chauvin was a white guy yeah. and George Floyd was black? I could see if there's evidence that this dude was a, in the KKK or yeah. he had racist emails. There's a history of racism. Nazi tattoos or something. something it's got to be something. Your default cannot be racist. Just because he's white and the victim's black. Yeah. That's being racist. Look, the four cops involved with George Floyd's death, and yeah. that was a murder. Yeah. They all four of them need to be held responsible for that. Right. I'm not saying that. But out of the four police, it wasn't four white police officers. No. Two of them was white. Yeah. One was Asian. Yep. And the other one was black. Yeah. So how is this proved that there's systemic racism in the police force? Why does this dude Chauvin, why... Why do we look at him and say this is all cops? When we look at black folks, we don't say they're all criminals. When we look at white folks, we don't say they're all racist. Yeah. When we look at Muslims, we don't say they're all terrorists. Why do we get to call all cops bad because of one bad cop? Because that's what the media wants. They're going to push this narrative. And look how it's divided the country. Yeah. They have split this country in half. Yeah. These riots, people actually think cops out there hunt down black people for the simple fact yeah. that they're black and there's no evidence of that. None. No statistics, no facts. They just tell you that black men are getting gunned down. It's all BS. It's all BS. And that's why I would never stay with Black Lives Matter. Because it's all a lie. It's a lie. Two and two simply make black people feel that they're less American than everybody else. Yeah, to keep black people indebted to the Democrat Party. Yeah. That's what that's what it's all about. And look at uh, Black Lives Matter organization. Look at all the contributions they get. Look where that money's going. It's going to Democrat presidential candidates. It's not going to black people. It's, it's not going, going to, to black neighborhoods. No. It's going to rich old white men running for president. <laughs> oh, that's what I call white privilege. Well, that's the Hodge twins doing an excellent job of debunking all of the media nonsense and Black Lives Matter more broadly. Uh, here's another one of my favorites. I listen to this gentleman frequently on a variety of different topics. He's an anarcho-capitalist, a libertarian, uh, a comic enthusiast, a musical maybe genius i don't have really got a full chance to dive into his music catalog just yet but he's uh one of the vocalists in the were in the band backwards he's now associated with blaze tv his name is eric d july you can check him out on eric d july.com uh, he's also on youtube.com slash young rip of five nine which is actually where i discovered him i think he was bitching about captain marvel and i stumbled upon him and then i realized that he's got like all these political opinions and I started listening to those and I was like he's unlike anyone I've ever heard talk about politics before and he is like the the dyed in the wool libertarian like in the truest sense of the word and you'll catch some of that as he's talking here but uh, this is Eric D. July talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and essentially why it's for losers take it away Eric 
But like I said, I'm not in the business of begging to be accepted by white people. You can be mad at me all you want. You can try to conjure up this mental gymnastics, which is what a lot of folks do. They try to conjure up this this mental gymnastics like, oh, he's a self. Like, you ain't never heard me hate myself uh, because of reason I'm black. All of the positions that I have is because I take, you know, I'm a black man. It's not anything that I shy away from. I'm not a colorblind. I'm not colorblind or anything like that. I am a black man. I am fine with that. But I don't need to be validated by people that don't want to, that I feel are actively trying to keep me out. This is why I did the video when I talked about I don't obsess over racism and I had a lot of the Malcolm X quotes and stuff like that because I don't. Like, if you don't like me for me, that doesn't offend me. If it manifests itself into aggression, that I had to take issue. But even if you, but if obviously if you weren't black or, or white or whatever, that I would take issue with. So that's a non point. If it manifests itself into aggression, we have issues. But just because you think some kind of way like me or, or, or think some kind of way about me and then you have resources and you don't want me to have access to them or something like that because you don't like the color of my skin. Go screw yourself. Now, I know not to deal with you. That's fine. But what I'm not about to do is beg to be included, beg to be accepted because my world does not depend on you. And I don't even want to perpetuate a culture. I would never raise, you know, I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I would not raise them to think like that. But this is the culture that's been fostered by all of these weirdos, man. Blue check marks and so forth. Like, none of this even makes sense. This whole daggum thing is just, I don't know what kind of dimension that we're living in where people just think that the boogeyman white man is just controlling their every move and that this is like, oh, we have this uber racism problem. When... You see pretty much it's the most corporate movement of all time right now is saying Black Lives Matter and trying to do all of these things. Like, come on, man. Like, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. I'm just saying when you talk about it to the to the degree of what y'all discussing, it's like it ain't it ain't that, right? Like even with this whole recent scenario with uh with the with unfortunate murder, let's call it what it is, of George Floyd, like it's not even any proof that that he was killed because he was black. Like we, everybody just defaults to that. Yeah, and there really is no evidence. I think I said it on my last episode. Like if if Derek Chauvin was this big old racist and he had all these, you know, things posted on social media or whatever the case may be, we'd know about it. We would know about it. We don't know about it because there's no evidence that any of that stuff actually exists. And there's more of a personal link between the two than there appears to be any sort of semblance of white supremacy. And I think we're going to find that out when Mr. Chauvin goes to trial and all of the evidence comes out and just, you know, what what exactly Mr. Floyd did on the buildup to that, which is frankly irrelevant. I mean, once the guy was in cuffs and on the ground, there was no need for him to have his you know neck squished by a man's knee. But uh, I, I'm more inclined to think still, based on all the evidence I have available to me, that Mr. Chauvin knew who Mr. Floyd was, and he may have had a personal vendetta with him, or maybe the the facility that they worked at together had some sort of gripe with him, and Mr. Chauvin was selected to uh, to handle some business for that particular organization, whatever organization that might be. Um, but I, I I don't think there's a lot of evidence of the fact that, that Mr. Chauvin's a racist. Uh, I think he's a monster, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a racist, although all racists really are monsters, but... It's kind of like a square rectangle relationship, right? Like one, not all one is one and not all the, you get what I'm saying. Anyway, I've talked for too long. Next clip is um, from Candace Owens talking about Mr. Floyd and uh, 
the propensity for the media and Black Lives Matter and the blue check marks on Twitter and all that sort of stuff to hold up George Floyd as some sort of martyr. Certainly he should not have died in the manner in which he died. Virtually everybody agrees with that. But they're, they've taken this next step to making him like this new Rosa Parks type figure. And Candace Owens takes exception to that. And uh, I'm pretty sure I agree with her here. Let's go ahead and hear what she has to say. So I um, want to come out and say uh, that I do not support George Floyd and the media depiction of him as a martyr for black America. I'm going to explain why, and I hope that some of you guys will understand where I'm coming from. Um, I have spent a considerable amount of time reading a lot um, of black authors that I think are some of the most brilliant black Americans breathing. Um, Walter Williams, Shelby Steele, Thomas Sowell, and I recently came across something that was an idea that was planted into my head by Shelby Steele and it has been something that I cannot um, forget. It is something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. And it is something that I hope for the black Americans that are watching will stick with you for the rest of your life. Shelby Steele said that the black community is unique from other communities. Um, our, our culture is unique from other communities um, because we are the only community that caters to the bottom denominator of our society. Now, let me explain what that means. Um, it means to say that not every black American is a criminal, not every black American is committing crimes, but we are unique in that we are the only people that fight and scream and demand support and justice for the people in our community that are up to no good. You would be hard pressed to find, um, you know, a Jewish person who has spent five stints in prison, uh, who commits a crime and dies while committing a crime, and that the Jewish people champion and demand justice for. You will be hard pressed to find this in white America. You'll be hard pressed to find this even in Latino America. Uh, if there is a person that is spent multiple times in prison, you are not going to see a bunch of Latinos coming out um, demanding justice for this person, even if, and I want to be very clear, what I'm saying is not any defense for Derek Chauvin. I hope Derek Chauvin gets the justice that, um, that he deserves to be um, you know, implemented upon him and that the family um, of George Floyd deserves justice for the way that he, that he died. Um, but I also am not going to accept the narrative that this is the best the black community has to offer. For whatever reason, it has become fashionable over the last uh, five or six years for us to turn criminals into heroes overnight. Um, and it is something that I find to be despicable and it's something that I refuse to stand by any longer and I am not going to play a part in it no matter how much pressure comes from black liberals and black conservatives as, as some token of people wanting you to believe that this is the only way you can be black is you have to say this was wrong and that this, you know, this person was amazing. I won't do that. Uh, George Floyd was not an amazing person. She goes on from there to list off all the things George Floyd has ever done wrong in his life, and um, she's right, and he shouldn't be held up as a martyr. Again, neither she nor I am saying that he deserved his fate, but um, to suggest he was like this innocent angel all and all of this is is hardly the case. And uh, like she said, like I don't, I don't think people should be like buying t-shirts with his face on it or bumper stickers with his face on it. If you want to tell me racism is an issue, cool, let's talk about that. If you want to tell me police brutality is an issue, cool, let's talk about that. But uh, to suggest that anybody is on board with what happened to George Floyd is just nonsense. Pick a better case. Pick a better martyr. George Floyd ain't it. Anyway, moving on from there, another thing you hear all the time is that, yeah, black people have more interactions with the police because they're over-policed. 
in their particular neighborhoods. Now, I'm going to give you Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal to talk about just that. If you uh, listen to my last episode, he was the one who made a lot of the points from that Daily Wire article, which was quoting his work in the Wall Street Journal, all of the statistics that we need to know about black-on-black crime and all that sort of stuff. This is Mr. Riley talking about the myth that uh, minority communities are over-policed. Here he is. That um, these neighborhoods are being over-policed is uh, not borne out by the facts. Um, uh, Partly we know this because of the amount of phone calls that come from the black community, but we also know this from data we have on crime victims. And it turns out that blacks are arrested at right about the same rate that victims of crimes identify blacks as their assailant. People who have no no reason to lie about who came after them. if these neighborhoods were being over-policed, those two numbers wouldn't be in the same. You'd, you'd have a lot more arrests of blacks than you had blacks being identified as the assailant by victims. Uh, so this notion, again, that these communities are being over-policed, I think, does not hold water. These communities want more policing. They want better policing. Um, uh, and, and the activists, however, have convinced the media to report just just the opposite. But when you go and talk to rank and file blacks, particularly blacks with, with school-age children that have to, uh, you know, run this obstacle course to school every day or to work every day, uh, you know, past all the drug dealers, past all the crime, people who sit coward in their homes, people who, 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 who during the summertime in Chicago sleep on the floor at night because a bullet might be coming through the wall. You know, this isn't, This isn't the Klan driving through the south side of Chicago shooting up the place. Mm -hmm. These are other young black men spraying these playgrounds, you know, birthday parties get destroyed over this. This is just an unbelievable carnage. And to act, to pretend that the police are the source of this or that policing is the main factor here is so at odds, at odds with reality. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Riley nails it there. I'm going to move you on to just an, an, I'm, I'm trying to talk less as this episode goes on. Move you on to Larry Elder, who makes a lot of the same points, but he also points to this notion that this is systemic. And he points to the system that was in place before the current administration and prior to that even. And yet, despite the fact that there were prominent black figures in those administrations, nothing seemed to actually change. And then he addresses the Black Lives Matter protesters and the movement and the defund the police. And he wants to know what the end goal is, because what they're talking about doesn't seem to fit with any reality that he's aware of. But before I take too many of his words out of his mouth, let me go ahead and let him say it. This is Larry Elder from The Larry Elder Show, and this is another long one, so strap in. We want to make sure that the police department is responsive to the community. What does that mean? I thought it meant that you wanted to have officers that represented the racial demographics of the given area that they are patrolling. And in the case of New York, in the case of L.A., mission accomplished. You're still complaining. What else? Anytime a police shoots somebody, we want the feds to investigate. That's pretty much what's done now automatically anyway. What else? What? We want the police to be trained in different tactics so that this knee that was used on 
Mr. Floyd is not used again. Okay, fair enough. A, what does it have to do with race? And B, if you don't want the police to resort to those kinds of restraints, if a suspect, in their view, is resisting, then what do you recommend? And whatever you recommend, will that recommendation not also have a downside? Is the goal nirvana? Is the goal that you don't want black criminals prosecuted? Because if that's really what you're saying, that there are, quote, too many black people behind bars, you hear this word over and over again, warehousing of blacks. If that is your objection, then say so. And we'll just cut them loose. Starting in your neighborhood. I'm trying to figure out what the demands are. Now, I know I have a lot of people on the left who listen to my show because you think I'm fair, and I appreciate that. My phone number is 888-971-7243, 888-971-SAGE. Call me and tell me specifically what the demand is. I know what the demands were in the 50s and the 60s. Wanted the right to vote. Wanted the right to sit anywhere you wanted to sit in a restaurant, on a, on a bus. The right to be hired, the right to be hired where we shop. Virtually every Fortune 500 company now has a diversity consultant or an outreach consultant or uh, a, uh, a somebody with some sort of name like that to ensure that the company is being fair by minorities. So I want to know what the demand is. It's now 2020. We've had back-to-back, we had a back-to-back black president. Back-to-back black secretaries of state under George W. Bush. Back-to-back attorneys general under Barack Obama. During the eight years of Obama, he also often talked about investigating various departments for possible civil rights abuses. He's made that, uh, uh, made that claim regarding the Baltimore PD after Freddie Gray died, yet no civil rights charges were filed against any of the officers, the six officers that were initially charged in the death of Freddie Gray. None. The Obama administration said they were going to investigate the killing of Tamir Rice for possible civil rights charges against the officer that killed this 12-year-old who was twirling a plastic replica gun with the tip removed that was supposed to be put on there by law in order to distinguish between a plastic gun and a non-plastic gun. That tip had been removed. Cops shot him. The Obama administration said they were going to investigate whether or not the cop violated Tamir Rice's civil rights. Nothing was done. Eric Gardner. Eric Gardner is the man who was selling Lucy's. And why the police felt that they needed to deal with somebody selling Lucy's has more to do with the finances of the city and the taxes that they were losing by people uh, selling cigarettes like that so the city doesn't get its its taxes to pay all these outside pensions. That's why he was stopped in the first place. We're not even having a discussion about that. He was brought down with a hold that some describe as a chokehold. Some say it's an unlawful chokehold. In any case... Big display of investigating the officers involved on charges of depriving Eric Gardner of civil rights. Nothing happened. Nothing happened with Freddie Gray. Nothing happened with Sandra Bland. That's the woman in Texas who had some sort of altercation, got arrested for some relatively minor traffic offense that uh, escalated because it went back and forth with the officers. And officer got ticked off and put her in jail and she hanged herself in jail. At least that's what the authorities said. That appears to be what happened. 
And the Obama administration said they were going to investigate, find out whether or not any civil rights charges had been, civil rights uh, violations had occurred. And if so, nothing happened. You know why nothing happened? It wasn't because Obama and his AGs didn't want something to happen. You don't think Eric, uh, Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch would not have gone after a police department if they felt they had ample grounds? Of course they would have. They didn't have the grounds because it's not true. There are individual police officers who misbehave, who engage in misconduct, sometimes deadly misconduct, as happened in the case of George Floyd. These are individual officers. The Minneapolis Police Department did not kill him. The 800,000 police officers in the United States did not kill him. And it's not like police public contact has not been surveyed. Every three years, a police public contact survey asks over 60,000 Americans about their interactions with cops to find out whether there's any sort of pattern of beliefs of abuse or misconduct or excessive use of deadly force. Nothing. It's not there. And the downside is you're getting people killed because cops are going to pull back. Criminals are going to be emboldened going to make things worse for the very people that the Black Lives Matter proponents claim that they care about. I'm Larry Elder. Yes, he most certainly is Larry Elder. All right, so Larry Elder is like one of the older black conservative voices. I'm going to go to from him to the youngest black conservative voice that I'm aware of. And yeah, Candace and Eric, they're, they're you know, I guess relatively spring chickens. But uh, C.J. Pearson is a high schooler. This kid has been out in the public eye I actually, I reached out to, I, I don't even remember the, the gentleman's name. There was a representative from Georgia. He was a Democrat. He came out and he supported Trump, right? So I reached out to him, tried to get him for an interview. He ended up taking the job back and becoming the representative in the state council of Georgia, state representatives or state congress of Georgia, whatever it is. Um, but he actually put me in contact with C.J. Pearson, who I guess is running some of his public, you know, I guess, endeavors, whatever it is. Um, CJ spoke to him on the phone, really nice, really respectful kid. Um, and, and I say kid cause he's, he's a fucking kid. He's half my age, but he's got a lot of knowledge. And, uh, here's some of that for you. This is CJ Pearson, to my knowledge, the youngest black conservative in the public eye today. I guess I'm CJ Pearson. When did Americans become so weak? When did we become so sensitive it's like literally people wake up every single day looking for a new reason to be offended. We went from a nation that won back-to-back world wars, brought communism to its knees, defeated ISIS to being a nation that is now trying to ban Paw Patrol. A cartoon with dogs that wear police badges because apparently it offends some people. We went from a nation that did all of those great acts defined by courage to being a nation that is now banning cops, live PD, and Legos that depict police officers. What is going on? I am sick and tired of people's sensitivities directing the direction that this nation goes. I am sick and tired of people's emotions telling me that I can't say certain things regardless of how truthful and factual they are. I am tired of censoring myself because people are too emotionally sensitive that they can't accept the truth. They can't accept a fact. If you are triggered by a cartoon dog wearing a badge, then you have a problem. And it is far bigger than Disney Channel. Far bigger than Disney Channel. We have reached a point in our nation where people can't even be around people who disagree with them. People are literally posting that if you disagree with me on this, if you disagree with me on that, you need to unfollow me. You need to block me. 
because apparently it's invading their safe space. It's making them feel uncomfortable. The idea that the people have different opinions, protect them from it, shield me from it. I don't want to see that. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Not them, with you. This is absolutely the most nonsensical period of time that has ever existed in the course of human history. Like the idea that I even have to make a video talking about why banning Paw Patrol is absurd is something that I never thought I would have to do. But it's 2020. So of course I have to do it. I mean, I guess no one like, no one like told him he had to do it in all fairness, but I get what he's saying and that it is pathetic that here he is like, CJ speaks on a lot of like, you know, high level important issues a lot of the time um, to be relegated to now having to do a video about Puppy Patrol or Paw Patrol, whatever it is, uh, probably feels a little degrading. And I and I get it. It is nonsensical. It's pathetic. It is disgusting, disturbing even that we've hit this point in civilization or at least in American civilization. But um, that's it, man. Those are those are a lot of the voices that I wanted to get on the record here got a wide variety of of beliefs, you know, like not all conservatives are the same, certainly not all black conservatives are the same. They all have things that you're that they say that they believe that are based on facts and a lot of which are based on the writings of black leaders, economists, philosophers that came before them and they were ignored. But here we are in a day where black lives matter is splattered on everything and yet I'm willing to bet most of you have not heard most of those voices. It's almost like there's an agenda that mainstream media is pushing. It's almost like somebody is here on a weekly, seemingly weekly basis nowadays to tell you about that narrative. And, oh, that's me in this case. And those are those voices. And there's plenty more where that came from. So if you're ever looking for more, um, hit me up on Twitter, man. Like, I mean, there's, there's no shortage of black conservatives out there. There's plenty of them. You just don't see them because CNN refuses to acknowledge that they exist in their little bubble. It's okay to paint all Trump supporters as racist and all cops as bastards and never, ever dare point towards any statistics that might show that blacks commit more crimes than all the other races sometimes combined. But you know, that whole thing, that that they can paint with those brushes all day long, baby, but they don't want to recognize that there are black conservative voices out there, people that are black, that aren't indebted to the system, that aren't looking for the acceptance of white people, that aren't looking to be coddled in any way, shape, or form, people that were never told they were victims, and they grew up accordingly, and they made things for themselves, which isn't to say that, you know, there aren't some people out there that deal with racism, that deal with shortcomings. Maybe you're not privileged and that your family isn't intact or wealthy or even above the poverty line. Like, whatever it is, there's a lot of other factors that go into your ultimate success, but the number one is you. And until that day comes that you realize that, you're never going to give it your all. You're never going to push. You're never going to go pedal to the metal, try as hard as you can, go all in on something, reach for the stars, because you're always told that there's like a dome over you and that you're never going to be able to smash through that glass ceiling and whatever the hell. All these weird things that have become, they've just become phrases now. Like we just say them because like they don't have meaning because in reality they don't. 
There's no glass ceiling over Hillary Clinton's head. There's a baby in her basement or something, you know? Like, that's more likely than a glass ceiling, whatever it is. But, you know, the, you know what I'm saying. At the end of the day, man, just believe in yourself. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. I don't care what color you are. Black, white, brown, purple, green, yellow, doesn't fucking matter be a good person respect people look them in the eye shake their hand hold doors open tip well and more importantly rather that most importantly focus on your education get a job keep that job excel at that job take pride in that job and then get married and then have kids in that order i know i'm a hypocrite can't go back now wouldn't anyway love my kid to death so it is what it is but you got you to gotta at least recognize that there are goals that you could set for yourself that really aren't that unachievable. As a matter of fact, they're, they're, they're pretty achievable. Most people achieve them. Most people graduate high school. Most people get jobs and keep them for at least a period of time. I don't know if most people get married and have kids. Certainly not in some communities, but now we're back on to things. I'm not painting with broad brushes here. All I'm saying is that there are voices out there that are saying things you're not hearing. And that's a direct result of a media that has no interest in sharing those voices with you because their voices destroy their narrative. And their narrative is that black people are dependent on white people to succeed, which is just not true. Ask any successful black person. Literally, ask any of them. I don't even know them. I don't even know that they're conservative. Ask them. How'd you, how'd you get to where you are? I'm, I'm told... You know, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance here. I'm told that this is a supremely racist country. How did you get to where you are? And let them talk. See what they have to say. You might be surprised that they were just told that nothing can hold them back. Maybe they did face some sort of racism. They overcame it. Everyone else is just, you know, while their peers are willing to just lay down and and be stopped by it, they overcame it. Why is that? Because they control their destiny. And that's awesome. We need more people like that of all colors. We need less stupid people of all colors too. If we can somehow make that all happen. If only there was like a system that was designed to, I don't know, educate people and make them better people and prepare them for the real world. Oh, shit, we have one of those. Doesn't work. Defund the schools? Hashtag defund the schools. All right, I'm not ready to go that far yet. But I hope I've made my point here. Um, rest in peace again to Richard Brooks. And I hope you enjoyed the eclectic mix of people with similar skin tone that all happen to be fairly conservative and don't seem to buy into any of the mainstream media bullshit. And they all happen to be pretty successful. Imagine that. In a country this racist, successful black people. It's amazing. Anyway, I'm going to send you out the door with uh, a song by a young black conservative. No, it's not Eric July. Uh, this is Bryson Gray. Many of you may have heard him. MAGA Has No Color, I believe, is his album or his song or whatever it is out there. This is a little jammy just threw out on Twitter. And I, I think in these times, like, this is the message that we need. It's not the greatest hip-hop you've ever heard in your life, but it's a good message. And um, not a lot of that in hip-hop in general, really, but... In spe specifically not coming from black conservatives. So uh, shout-outs to Bryson, shout-outs to Larry Elder and C.J. Pearson and Candace Owens and Eric July and Jason Riley and everybody else, the Hodge twins, 
just just I mean too many to name and so many more above and beyond that but here's Bryson Gray on the way out the door before I, I get you there make sure that you follow me on all social medias at right opinion pod uh, I guess that's on Twitter Instagram and Parler not all social medias but all the ones I'm on it's at right opinion pod feel free to email the show the right opinion pod at gmail.com and subscribe if you haven't done so already at the right opinion.podbean.com or iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or ratsaladreview.com or hackerhameen.podbean.com. A YOLO for the Atolo over there. And uh, that's about it. Uh, oh, duh. Uh, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion. And you only get it right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. Talk to you guys next time. Peace. <laughs> If you white, you my brother. If you brown, you my brother. If you black, you my brother. We gon' ride for each other. No divide in each other. I don't care about your color. If you white, you my brother. If you brown, you my brother. If you black, you my brother. We gon' ride for each other. No divide in each other. I don't care about your color. All lives matter, yeah, yeah, I said that, Hey, Here go Bryson coming through with the red hat. Hey, they say that they gon' take it off me, ha, dead, dead. In the truth, but they don't want smoke, cause they know I'm strapped. I got the wave, I got my own mind, tell them why I'm not a slave. And I'm coming back with four, five like MJ. I been carried over, color RP to MLK. Y'all donate the Black Lives Matter, but can you see who running it? And to answer that question, you gotta see who funding it. Black Lives Matter in the womb too, doesn't it? We oppressing ourselves. In the deep state, loving it on game. If you white, you my brother. If you brown, you my brother. If you black, you my brother. We gon' ride for each other, no divide in each other. I don't care about your color. If you white, you my brother. If you brown, you my brother. If you black, you my brother. We gon' ride for each other, no divide in each other. I don't care about your color. Damn.